Hello everyone, welcome to the Memorial Heights Baptist Church Podcast. Here you'll find archived all of our previous messages dating back to late 2020. Our hope is that today's message would be encouraging to your walk with Christ. We also want to thank you for spending time listening today and encourage you to share these messages with a friend so they too might hear the Word of God. But for now, grab your Bible, open your ears, and let's get to it. Turn with me to the book of Amos. Amos chapter 3. If you're looking for Amos, he is just a couple books after the book of Daniel. Amos chapter 3. Not every story has a happy ending, but yours does if you know Jesus Christ. What amazes me, though, is how few Christians seem interested in learning about the ending of their own story. Now, I love a good story, and there is no such thing as a good story without a good ending. I've grown up on books and comic books. I love a story, whether it's in a video game or a board game or a television show or a good movie. Now, a lot of movies, the best thing about them is the trailer. But every once in a while, you see a movie that just stays with you and sticks with you because of the power of the story. And one of my favorite storytellers is the late Alfred Hitchcock. I became a Hitchcock fan when I was just a kid watching the movie The Birds. How my parents let me watch that movie, I will never know. But uh, I became a Hitchcock fan watching that movie. But I didn't really get into his other movies until I got to college. And, and I remember when I was in college, now, for some of you, you've got to understand, this is back in the day. I didn't even have a computer yet. 1995, I didn't have a computer yet. But I did have a VCR. And if you're not sure what that is, there are these little cassettes, right, that you put into this machine called a VCR, and you would actually have to record things that were on because there was no live streaming yet. There was no Netflix or Hulu or Amazon Prime or, or whatever. So my mom knew, knew that I was a Hitchcock fan and, and she knew there was a lot of movies I hadn't seen yet. And she said, hey, they're having a, I think it was on A&E at the time, and they're having a festival. You want me to record some? And I was like, yeah, well, how many? All of them. Well, I can't get them all, but I'll, I'll get as many as I can. Which, which ones do you really want to watch? And one that I had never seen before was North by Northwest, starring Cary Grant. And I can remember, I, she, she taped these for me, and I took these tapes with me. And, and uh, there was a, a spring break uh, my senior year when I had to get a credit. I had to get one class, three credits, uh, so I could graduate on time. So I had to stay for a modular through spring break. And so there I am in my dorm room, hardly anybody else. In fact, I think I might have been the only guy in the dorm. There might have been one other guy. And I'm there, and it's late at night because I've been in class all day. But at the time, I just pretty much stayed up all night. When you're young, you can kind of get away with that a little bit. Uh, and so it was late at night, and I, I popped this cassette in, and I'm, I'm absorbed 
into the majesty and magnificence that is a great Alfred Hitchcock movie. That's one of the best. Not my favorite, but it's one of the best. And I got to the almost very end of the movie. This movie that my mom had taped for me on a VHS tape. Almost to the end of the movie. 10.30 at night. And the character pulls out a gun and he points the gun and the tape runs out. <laughs> no! You've got to be kidding me! And there was no Netflix, there was no YouTube, there was no what happened. And I couldn't even go to, Blockbuster was closed. I mean, it was late. And there was no, Blockbuster was this place where you used to go to get VH, VHS tapes. Um, or movie gallery. When I lived in Kentucky, I was pretty much a movie gallery every week. I had to wait. I had to, I had to wait not just a night. I had to wait the whole next day until I was at my modular, which was an all-day class. And the first thing I did when I got out of that class, I got in my car and I drove to Blockbuster. Please let it be there. And it was. And I got to see the end of the movie that night. But isn't it, doesn't it drive you crazy? When you're watching a show and it ends on a cliffhanger and you got to wait all summer. But see, you expect that, right? When you're watching a TV show, you expect that. You don't expect when you're in a movie for the movie to end too soon. Or when you're watching the football game and all of a sudden Heidi comes on instead of the end of the football game. Some of you may have been watching that famous game back in the day. Why is it that Christians get so excited about the story of God until it gets to the end of the story. And then it's like, oh, that's too confusing. That's too confusing. I, I, you know, that's controversial. People disagree. People get in fights over prophecy. I don't think prophecy is all that important. Listen to what Amos says here in chapter 3 of the book of Amos. And by Amos, I mean God. Because Amos is just the prophet. And what the prophet has to say in and of himself isn't all that important. What the preacher has to say in his own opinion isn't all that important. But when God is speaking, it doesn't matter who the messenger is. You better pay attention. And God says this, Hear this word that the Lord hath spoken against you, O children of Israel, against the whole family which I brought up from the land of Egypt, saying, You only have I known of all the families of the earth. Therefore, I will punish you for all your iniquities. Can two walk together except they be agree, uh, agreed? I mean, you ever tried to walk with a six-year-old and you're trying to take him in this direction and he's trying to get to the toy section? Can two walk together unless they be agreed? God says, I'm trying to hold your hand. I'm trying to get you where you need to go. Will a lion roar in the forest when he hath no prey? Will a young lion cry out of his den if he hath taken nothing? Can a bird fall in a snare upon the earth where no gin is for him? Shall one take up a snare from the earth and have taken nothing at all? Shall a trumpet be blown in the city and the people not be afraid? Shall there be evil in a city and the Lord hath not done it or, or allowed it, either brought it as judgment or allowed it as judgment? Verse 7 is where I want you to focus. Surely the Lord God will do nothing, but He revealeth His secret 
unto his servants the prophets. The lion hath roared, who will not fear? The Lord God hath spoken, who can but prophesy? Now, if you lived in, uh, we have bears around here, and coyotes, and, and uh, I don't know, maybe a, a little mountain lion might get, get in this area. But we don't generally worry about lions and tigers and bears, oh my. But if you heard a lion roar and you weren't at the zoo, you would pay very close attention to where that sound came from and how far it was to safety and how fast it's going to take you to get there. And God is saying that the prophet has spoken, the lion has roared. And God says this to the nation of Israel, to the nation of Israel. He says, I don't do anything major unless I tell you what I'm going to do. That doesn't mean that God promises to script every 24-hour day for us, but He's saying, I don't do anything major and significant that I have enacted unless I give you a warning ahead of time through the prophets. Now that's important to understand as we go to the book of Revelation because there are many Christians who just dismiss the book of Revelation and who say, oh, that, that's, that's all fulfilled. That's all fulfilled. Most of that, that that's, that's history. That's not, that's not prophecy for us. That's history for us. But I ask you, does the Lord God do anything in the nation of Israel without telling His servant the prophets about it? See, there are things that God has promised to do in and for the nation of Israel that He has not done yet. It's not because He forgot. And it's not because the prophets got it down wrong. It's because they are yet to come. The book of Revelation is a book of present and future revelation and prophecy. And over the course of the next number of months, we're going to undertake this monumental task of being Bereans. Who were the Bereans? The Bereans were the Christians in the book of Acts who studied daily diligently what the Apostle Paul was saying. And if they had to study what Paul, who was an apostle, was saying, Paul, who had raised people, you know, raised the guy from the dead, raised the kid from the dead because he preached so long, the kid fell asleep and fell out of the, the window and, and died, and Paul brought him back to life. Paul, who could do miracles, I have done no miracles. I have put people to sleep on occasion, but I have not raised anyone from the dead. If, if the Bereans had to check up on Paul, you better believe you have to check up on me, and it's, a, and it's a monumental task. But the Apostle Paul commands us in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 to despise not prophecy, to do the work, to put in the time. Now, now here's how uh, we are going to do this, I believe. Of course, all of this is subject to change as uh, we uh, are hopefully being led uh, constantly by the Holy Spirit. I, I really prayed about and, and wrestled with when to start this series. So here is how I am feeling led at the moment. We're going to be in the book of Revelation 
on Sunday mornings from chapters 1 to until we get through chapter 3. And then my plan at the moment is next year, early next year, sometime early next year, on Sunday nights, because on Sunday nights we get a little more uh, in-depth, we get a little more under the microscope, and we're going to be dealing with some pretty heavy stuff when we get especially into chapter 4 and following. We're going to continue and finish, Lord willing, unless he comes back first, which praise, uh, praise the Lord if he does, um, before we get to finish, but we'll finish on Sunday nights, chapters 4 to the end. But I want to, over this week and then, uh, Lord willing, in two weeks, um, we'll be here in chapter 1 and maybe a third week. We'll see how far we get this morning. I don't want you to feel rushed as we go through this because of the importance of this prophecy. If we do get through eight verses this morning, I'll be ecstatic. Let's read them together. Revelation chapter 1, beginning in verse 1. The revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave unto him, unto Jesus. Why? To show unto his servants things which must shortly come to pass. And he sent, Jesus sent, and signified it by his angel unto his servant, John, who, John, bear record of the word of God and of the testimony of Jesus Christ and of all things that he saw. Blessed is he that readeth and they that hear the words of this prophecy and keep those things which are written therein for the time is at hand. Now, in these first verses, we see a, a bit of a breakdown. Here we see John's introduction, or what I'm calling John's opening description of the book. And he starts with the whole premise, the whole point of this book. The point of the book is not me. The point of the book is not you. It's not even us. The point of the book is Jesus Christ. It is the unveiling, the apocalypsis, which means the unveiling in a physical sense of who Jesus is and what Jesus is going to do. This is the revealing of Jesus, the Christ. The word Christ means Messiah, Mashiach, Messiah, the anointed one, the chosen one of God who was promised all the way back in the Garden of Eden, Genesis 3.15. God said to the serpent, I will put enmity between thee and the woman, between thy seed. We'll be talking about the serpent's seed as we get farther into this book. And her seed. Full stop. I don't want to get too descriptive this morning. But basic human biology, women don't have seed. Men have seed. Women don't have seed. But God said, first and foremost, you will be able to identify my Savior. Who, by the way, Satan, he's going to crush your head. And all you're going to be able to do is bruise his heel. How do we know who it is? Well, here's the first thing you look for. Someone who's born of the seed of the woman. Well, women don't have seed. Yeah, that means he's going to be virgin born. And that's why God repeats that in Isaiah. Behold, 
the virgin, the virgin. What, who, who's the virgin? The virgin promised in Genesis 3.15. The virgin will conceive and bring forth the son and you will call his name Emmanuel, meaning God with us. Why is this so important to understand? Look again at verse 2. Who bear record of the word of God and of the testimony of Jesus. Revelation 19.10. It's here at the beginning and it's at almost the end. Revelation 19.10. The testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. We study prophecy not just to know what's going to happen. We study prophecy because it tells us who Jesus is and what Jesus is like. And your view of prophecy, it's not salvific in the sense that you better believe what we believe or you're not truly saved. But your view of prophecy isn't unimportant because it reveals what you believe about the Savior. See, there are many people who believe Many professing Christians who are called, quote-unquote, preterists, you say, what does that mean? Well, you don't need to understand what it means completely. Just know this. They think all the prophecies have been fulfilled. Some of them even think Jesus has already come back. You say, well, where is he? Oh, in us. It doesn't the Bible say that Christ lives in it? Christ in you, the hope of glory. Christ is already here. Some of them even think that we are the second coming. Friend, we are not the second coming. Christ in us, yes. But the hope is not us. See, if that's what you believe, then that's going to affect how you view the world. And it's going to affect how you view Jesus. Because if you think that Jesus is us, then it's our job to fix the world. And it's our job to take over governments and to take over uh, the arts. And it's our job to take over the financial system. And it's our job to take things over and to rule the world. Which sounds a lot like what the Vatican is trying to do and has been trying to do because of their view of prophecy, which informs their view of Jesus Christ. If you think, no, no, we're, I mean, not all the prophecy has been fulfilled, certainly, but listen, there, there, there is a tribulation coming. Yeah, 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 it's that, that's not future. I mean, that's future. That's not past. That's future. But God's going to make us go through the whole time of judgment. God's going to stand up there, and he's going to look down, and he's going to say, yep, that's my son's bride. And even though I know I promised that the gates of hell would not prevail against you, but I'm going to let the Antichrist prevail against you. And I'm going to let him slaughter you and him tear you down. See, that's a very different view of Jesus than the Jesus that Paul preached. Because Paul said God has not appointed us to wrath. When God's wrath is on earth, you won't be here. So the only question then becomes, when does the wrath start? What is wrath and what is not wrath? And we'll be talking about that. We've been talking about that on Sunday nights. I invite you to come back for Sunday nights as we talk about the Olivet Discourse. It will 
inform you, especially as we get closer into chapter 6 and following of what, uh, what we're going to be talking about in the book of Revelation. But I want you to see here, the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. History is his story. History is his story. Prophecy is his story too. That's why we study prophecy. Not so we can have charts and diagrams, although those, are, those are, can be fun and those can be helpful, but it's so that we can see with the eyes of faith who our Savior really is and what he's promised to do. He loves the world so much that he died for the world. And he loves them enough to warn them of what is going to happen if they do not repent. So we need to know the premise of the apocalypse is to reveal Jesus, the promised Messiah. But notice the purpose and the, the, the theme or the premise is, is different than the purpose. By the way, if you are studying your Bibles, and I hope that you are, weekly, daily, generally speaking, the author most of the time will tell you what the book is about and why he wrote it, sometime usually in the first chapter. Now, there are some exceptions. For example, John in his gospel starts out in John chapter 1 telling us what the book is all about. In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God. The Word was God. But it's not until almost the end of the book that he says, here's why I wrote all this, guys, so that you would believe, so that you be increased in your faith. And that believing you'd have life in his name, that, that if, you're not, if you're a non-believer, that you'll become a believer. That's why I wrote this book, John says. So sometimes the author will sneak it in at the end for dramatic effect, but usually at the beginning. So here's what he says. This is the revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave unto him to show unto his servants. God wants you to get this information. God wants you to know. Now, I've had a number of jobs in my life. And there are always things that happen on the job. Speaking of on the job training, there are always things that you're not prepared for. We didn't cover this in orientation. But I've never been to a job where they said, I just show up and we'll figure it out as we go. Well, what, what will I be doing? Well, just show up and you'll find out. There was at least some kind of concept, some kind of idea of here's what is going to be expected of you. And God knows that we need reminded. And God knows that we need direction. And God has given us that direction in his book. And so the purpose of the apocalypse, this unveiling of Jesus Christ, is to reveal to God who Jesus is, yes, but also key future events which will come. Notice, here's the Greek word, swiftly. Not suddenly in the sense of it's coming any minute, guys. That's not what John was saying to the readers in the, at the end of the first century. Uh, otherwise, he'd have, he'd have been off by a few thousand years. That's not what he's saying. But he's saying when it comes, it's going to come fast as a bullet. Fast as a streak of lightning. It's going to come suddenly. When it's time, you better either get on the train or get off the tracks 
because it because it's going to be moving. It's going to come suddenly. So you need to be prepared. The word Greek word is tache, from which we get our English word tachyon. It done as quickly as is appropriate to the particular situation. Health words helps word studies. And certainly it's coming suddenly with swiftness and with certainty. That's what John is saying here. This prophecy as it unfolds and as you, we're going to see Lord willing over the next few months together. It's been unfolding. Chapters two and three have been unfolding for 2000 years. These are truths we need to know, folks, truths that demand a response and demand that we respond with urgency, not just because we we thought we had the time. So maybe I'll study the book of Revelation uh, today, but eh, it's kind of hard. So maybe we'll pick something different tomorrow, but because the stakes are high and the time is short, we are living in the last days. Hebrews chapter one tells us these are the last days. Now, we're 2,000 years into the last days. Hebrews also goes on to say, don't forsake the assembling of yourselves together as is the manner of some, even that skipping church, not the new. I don't need church. I got Christians I work with. Friend, we don't just gather for you. We gather to worship the one who shed his blood to cleanse our sin. So, this is something we need to know and we need to make a priority because Hebrews goes on to say, don't forsake the assembling of yourselves together. You better spur each other on to, to love and good works. And here's the thing, guys. All the more as you see the day approaching. God doesn't tell us the time. We're not date setters. We're not going to set a time. We're not going to set a date. That never goes well. Lots of books in the, disc, in the discount bin, right? 80 reasons why Jesus is coming back in 1980. And the sequel. 81 reasons why he's coming back in 1981. I'm not making that up. But that said, God says you will see it coming. You'll see it coming. As we study this book together and as we see... Some of the prophecies, 2,000 years ago, they'd read that and go, how'd that happen? And now we go, oh, there, yeah. How would, how would everybody in the world be able to see something happening in Jerusalem? That makes absolutely no sense. Oh, yeah. Right now. Right now. We're going to see, as we go through this, the days, and I'm not kidding. I, I mean, I'm, I'm half joking, but I'm not kidding. We may not get through this series. Because the time is very short. But we're going to try. Now, let me say a word about the prophet of the apocalypse. I was hoping to get through verse 8 this morning. I think we'll get through verse 4. And uh, we won't try to... Uh, we'll, we'll be in... We'll be in uh, we don't have to get finished before Christmas. We'll just get finished in January and then we'll move it to Sunday night. We'll do whatever we need to do to cover what God has shared with us. Because this is, this is critical stuff. Notice, though, the, uh, the prophet of the apocalypse. John here says that um, he's bearing record of the word of God and of the testimony of Jesus Christ of all the things that he saw. It's only a few pages back. First John chapter one, first John chapter one. 
that which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon. In, our, in other words, we didn't just see it, we examined it. John's like, you think we're just writing about 12 loaves and fish? I was carrying one of the baskets, guys. I was feeling the weight of that left of the leftovers when Jesus fed the 5,000 men plus women and children. I, I was there. I Listen, I had my head on his chest the night he was betrayed. I have seen him. I have examined him. That which we have looked upon and our hands have handled of the word of life for the life was manifested and we have seen it and bear witness and show unto you that eternal life which was with the father and was manifested unto us. This wasn't just some kid who was special and then God liked him so much that he said, you know what? I'm just going to make you God. I'm going to make you a God which is what the Mormons teach, right? That we all become gods. This is the eternal God himself. Now, John is, is very unique. Here he describes himself not as the big apostle, but as the servant. In the Gospel of John, he described himself as the beloved disciple. He's, you, you, know what, you know what matters to me most? He loves me, and I'm going to serve him. Not my status, not my title, not you have to call me apostle, not you better do what I say because I said it, but you better do what God says because I know him, and he's coming back. But John is unique for some other reasons. I, I, there's some strong circumstantial evidence that John had a more unique relationship with Jesus Christ. What do you mean by that? When you go to the passion accounts in the gospel, specifically Matthew 27, 56 and Mark 15, verse 40. We're not going to take the time to turn there this morning. But you see Mary, the mother of Jesus, there at the cross, and you see her tribe with her. You see her closest friends and family with her. In one of the accounts, we're told that Mary's sister was there with her. She had her sister there. The other account doesn't mention her sister, but mentions John's mom. Salome, James and John's mom. Now, we're arguing from implication. But those are two very important women. Why would one only mention Mary's sister? And why would the other only mention James and John's mother? Unless it's the same gal. Salome. Mary's sister. And there are many Bible commentators 
who believe that is what is happening here and that is what God is indicating. And what would that mean? That means that James and John would be Jesus' cousins. They're his cousins. Now, if that's true, there are a number of things that happen in the Gospels that have a whole different dynamic. For example, do you remember when James and John's mama had the audacity to say to Jesus, Jesus, my boys, James and John, I, I think they should be sitting on thrones on either side of you. I think they deserve a special place when you rule and reign. Now, I know, I know mama's got some boldness, right? But that's pretty bold. Unless you were there changing Jesus' diapers. Unless you were there when he was a baby. Unless, now maybe she was Mary's younger sister, I don't know. But either way, if she was there. There, there, there are stories, even Jesus' nickname of the Sons of Thunder would take on, the Sons of Thunder, James and John, if he was there when they were running around the house as six-year-olds and five-year-olds and four-year-olds, if they were, and, and it, it gives us a different perspective on, on why John had the intimacy with Jesus to actually lay his head against Jesus' chest if they were family, if they were family through Mary. Now, again, I can't prove that. I'm arguing from implication here. But I think that there is a lot of reason to believe that John, the apostle, was named after John the Baptist. Because remember, in Mary's family, there were, nobody, there were no people named John. We see that, we see that in Luke chapter 1, right? Zacharias, what, what, what are we going to name the child? We can't ask Zachariah because he's, he's, he's mute because the angel cursed him with muteness. Well, Elizabeth's saying John, but nobody in the family's named John. Why would you name him John? He wrote it out, John, and all of a sudden he can speak again. Now, I don't know about you, but I'm suspecting that after that happened, in a culture where everybody gets named after everybody, and I'm a, I'm a junior. I mean, I'm Darren Jr. I'm named after my dad. We still do it today. Some of you are John the Third. I bet a lot of family members were named John after that. I suspect. Maybe John was named after John the Baptist. Whatever the uniqueness, John, it, it cannot be argued because the text is clear that John had a unique relationship Peter James and John all three of them had a very unique relation they were the they were the inner circle I mean you had all these disciples then you had the 12 you got all these disciples you got the 70 then you got the 12 then you got the three then you got the three and it's John who's at the cross and by the way maybe that's why Jesus said to John behold your mother this is his aunt. You're going to entrust somebody to family when you can, right? You can trust your mom to family when you can. Regardless of the 
blood relationship through Mary, he had a unique relationship. And so God chooses John to be the revelator. God chooses John. I call him the last man standing because he's the last apostle left. He's seen, all his, he's seen his brother. His brother was the first martyr. The first of the, the, the disciples martyred. Stephen was the first martyr. But the first of the apostles to be martyred was his own brother. And he seen Peter die. And he's seen all of these friends. But Jesus said of John, what does it matter to you if I, if I let him live until I come back? Peter, you follow me. John the Revelator. Now let me leave you with this as we close this introduction of an introduction this morning. Verse 3. Blessed is he that readeth and they that hear the words of this prophecy and keep those things which are written therein for the time is at hand. Let me, let me just be brutally honest with you. Part of the reason I'm doing this, I want a blessing. You want a blessing? We've, we've been dealing with some tough subjects. And listen, it doesn't get much easier when we get to the book of Revelation. But God knows that this is a book that will scare you if you believe it and you haven't really received it yet. There are some scary things in this book. But he promises a blessing to the one reading it and to the one who hears it. But see, it's not enough to just sit and listen. You have to actually be willing to hear what God is saying. Faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. It's not enough to know it. It's not even enough to memorize it. You've got to be willing to hear what God's... And then, of course, put it into practice. Don't be deceived into only hearing, but you've got to be willing to hear if you are willing to put in the work and to study this book and to hear it and to really listen to what God is saying, I'm not promising you the blessing. God is promising you the blessing as we together look at the revelation of Jesus Christ. I'm, I'm not going to expound on this, but let me just read these verses as we close. John, to the seven churches which are in Asia, grace be unto you, peace from him which is and which was and which is to come and from the seven spirits which are before his throne and from Jesus Christ who is the faithful witness and the first begotten of the dead and the prince of the kings of the earth. Prince there means ruler, not just prince like king and then prince. No, prince is actually Archon, it means the ultimate ruler. It, should, it would be more like king of kings and the kings. Unto him that loved us and washed us from our sins in his own blood and hath made us kings and priests unto God and his Father. To him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Let's close there. Father, we give you praise and honor and glory. You loved us so much. You sent Jesus to die for our sins. You raised him from the dead. God, I pray that if there's somebody here, they don't have the hope because they've never really seen Jesus this way. They need, God, the revelation of who Jesus is, the eternal God who became man, who died and rose again for their forgiveness if they will call upon the name of the Lord to be saved. Father, I pray this would be the day 
where they would call on Jesus to save them. And Father, as uh, those of us who are your children, God, may we be dedicated this day to studying this book so that we will not only know what is coming, but more importantly, we will know more and more about the one who is to come for us and to establish his kingdom here on earth. We love you. We praise you. We thank you. We ask this in Christ's name, Jesus. Amen. Would you stand as we close? If you have a need, the altar is open. Our deacons are here. Our deacons' wives are available. Whatever your need, the altar is open. Child of weakness, watch and pray. Find in me thine all in all. Jesus paid it all. All to him I owe. Sin had left a crimson stain. He continues to pray. Will you join me in prayer once again, Father? We are so, God, gracious and thankful, God, grateful and thankful, God, for your graciousness to us, God, in even revealing yourself to us and in, God, showing us what is about to happen. We don't know when, God, but we know when it happens, it will come quickly. And God, help us to prepare our hearts by your grace and by your spirit for what you are already certain to do because you've said it in your word. God, if there's somebody, they're not, they're here today, but they're not sure they're ready. They're just not sure. They have questions. God, I pray that they would seek one of us out after the service. They may never have another opportunity to make sure that they have eternal life. God, we pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you. The Lord willing, we'll see you tonight, 630. You are dismissed. That's all for today. I hope this has made a positive impact in your relationship with Jesus. If you've never accepted Christ as your Savior and you'd like to know how, give one of our pastors a call at 301-724-5876. We would love nothing more than to share the good news with you. If you've never joined us in person, 
We have services multiple times throughout the week that we would love to see you at. They are Sunday morning Bible study at 9.15 a.m., Sunday morning service at 10.30 a.m., Sunday evening service at 6.30 p.m., and Wednesdays at 6.30 p.m. We also have opportunities for our students to gather. The youth group for grades 6 through 12 meets at 6 o'clock p.m. on Sundays, and our WANA program for 6th grade and under meets at 6.15 p.m. on Wednesdays. Again, we thank you for joining us today, and we hope to see you soon. But until next time, stay faithful. Thank you.